Welcome to the 32nd episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. Uh, my name's Paul Boag and as normal, joining me is Marcus Lillington. Marcus, very famous Lillington. Well, we're going to come on to that. Yeah, we're going to come on to that in a minute. You okay. can save that. But did you have a good bank holiday weekend? Very much so, yes. I always enjoy this time of the year. Yeah. Because um, I'm on holiday for most of it, as are most English people. British I know. People. Yes, British. British, it? yes. Although I think the Scots get different bank holidays to us. Yeah, I they know do. they do. Yes, they do. That's yeah. very true. But, but uh, it's certainly a lot better than, say, in the States, where you only get, like, President's Day and... and uh, they get Labor Day and stuff do like they? that. Yeah, I don't know when that I is. I bet we have more. Because oh, so we have something like 10 bank holidays yeah. every year? Seven. Seven. Well, it's still pretty high. Yeah, you get an extra week, basically. So you get two days over Easter, yeah. and you get a May bank holiday, and yeah. there's another one at the end of May. I don't know what that one's for, but yeah, you always it's get just one. a made-up one. It's called Whitson. What does that mean? That's, I keep asking that's questions something, to our listeners. That's something vaguely religious, I think. Yeah, but I don't know. Most quite. of them are. Well, May bank holiday, the one we just had, is about dancing around maypoles. Well, it's a sort of kind of probably an old pagan ritual, isn't it? Yes, yeah. probably. And then there's Morris dancing. Yes, which that's is all very exciting. Part of the pagan Morris. How, did you see? Ritual. Did you see any Morris dances? This, this I did. You did. So yeah. did I. Yeah. You can't go anywhere, can you? <laughs> on May Day, so without... it's not in the south of England where no. we're from. Yes, it's, it's sort so of guys just... with beards drinking real ale. Yes, and wearing bells that on their. Actually, yes, <laughs> I could imagine that. But I bet you weren't wearing the bells around your ankles. No, and prancing up and down like. It's, a, it's kind of vaguely like river dancing, which most people will have heard of. Even Americans heard of mm, river it's dancing. It's kind of a drunk version of it, though. Yeah, and it involves sillier costumes and yeah. banging sticks. Sticks, lots of sticks. Yeah. It's to show so there you go. I think. So hence, this podcast is going out on Tuesday instead of the Monday yep. because we were all drinking real ale and hitting sticks yesterday. <laughs> so that's what we do here in Britain. Yeah. Very exciting. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. So. Why are you famous then, Marcus? Um, this isn't really you. You're, you're living off of reflected glory here. I, I am. I know. It's fantastic. Well, You I mean, tell the story. Any, anyone who has been keeping up with um, the, the Boag World website will have noticed that a guy called Andrew Rothman, thank you, Drew. You're a hero. Yeah, we love you. Has, has taken one of my old songs, a song called Hands to Heaven, and rewritten it um, with, uh, with some very amusing lyrics. About web standards. It is absolutely brilliant. We'll put it onto the end of this. We'll finish this podcast with it as the the outro music. Absolutely. I might even do a mixture of the two. Ooh. Oh, no. That sounds terrible. And go from one into another. Oh, no. We'll we'll see. Um, But uh, the reason why, of course, I'm famous is Paul decided to put uh, both versions, including the original. Yeah, because I wanted people to be able to compare. Because it's such a good parody. It is. It sounds just like the original. I wanted people to be able to hear the original. The amount of effort that Drew put into that is enormous. I wish I had that kind of time. (laughs) And what's so cool about it is he has provided us with the best advertising tool for Bergwell for ever. Molly has got it on molly.com. It did pretty well in Dig. It's um, it's also been on the Adam Curry show. It's really kind of got around everywhere. This this flipping thing. But in less, what in about ten or eleven hours, there were eleven thousand downloads of Hands to Heaven. So I am still famous, and that's it. Yeah, and you can't I, say a word. I had to. I have to admit, I had to take it offline <laughs> because it was hammering our our bandwidth. Yeah, so um, that's made my week basically. So there you go. All those free downloads. Well, I don't care. It's fantastic. Yes, it gets you you know noticed again. Indeed. Gets you a little bit of glory. So, yeah, well, I'll stick it on the end of, end of this episode. Um, and, um, oh, it just... All, you can all laugh very, very much because it's fantastic. It just really made me laugh. I mean, someone... Let me just, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I've just got to read you some of the lyrics of it because it's absolutely hilarious. Um, I won't sing it. It's okay. <laughs> so it's got... The supervisor rants. He says, this website's pants. I want my click-throughs improved by Friday. 
But I mean, some of the best are, the bits I really like. Tonight I need your CSS coding in the darkness. From now on, no more tables nest. We, uh, you will meet web standards. That's an excellent rhyme. The but it took him, a, took him a while. He was really pleased with himself, oh. weren't you, Drew? Came up with that one. The source code makes me weep. There's tables 15 deep. In Netscape <laughs> 6, it looks like garbage. It's just brilliant. It's just so funny. But of course, the best bit is the fact that. Um, it's uh, so raise your hands to Boag and pray that we can fix our website today. Yeah. So people well, are now praying to me. Oh, so that I've has gone to be the new uh, the new strap line for Boag. It ought to be, yeah. yeah. So really, we've <laughs> now moved beyond the whole um, guru status into godhood. God, yes, godhood. So there we go. May I be <laughs> taken out and burnt at the stake for my blasphemy? Right. So there we go. I mean, brilliant song. Thank you very much, Andrew. We can't thank you enough. Or yeah, Drew. Um, but it's made me think about something, actually, which is I've come to the conclusion that actually the people that listen to this podcast are far more talented than those that are actually on the podcast. But you speak for yourself. <laughs> 11,000 downloads. <laughs> okay. But I've decided I'm going to encourage this creativity in people. Yes. Uh, partly because of my own laziness and partly due to my own incompetence. You see, now, I've got a problem that I'm thinking about well, there's two things. One is I want to do um, some official Boagwell merchandise, like logo, uh, like um, T-shirts and that kind of stuff. Because I, I, I think, you know, it, it was so funny when those other guys did it that I feel like we ought to do it ourselves. So there's that. And also I want to do a re- redesign of the Boagwell site. Um, but the problem with both of those is uh, really we could do with a proper logo because we don't really have a logo at the moment. That's we, true, actually, yeah. So... And uh, the truth be told, one is I don't really have the time to do a logo, and um, but probably more significantly, <laughs> I'm really crap at doing them. I can do good logos. I've never been able to do good logos. Simplicity. Yeah, that's my about. problem. I have to horribly overwork everything mm-hmm. I ever do. So I was thinking about throwing it at, throwing it out to listeners that if anybody has time on their hands, because how much time must it have taken Drew to do that? Uh, that that's song. days days of work. He said it. he started it back at Christmas, yeah, and then other things got in the way and stuff. He was going to do it for our um, for our Christmas special, I think. So it must have been before Christmas he yeah. started it. Anyway, so if you have <laughs> endless acres of time or just fancy a bit of a challenge, then um, uh, we are accepting uh, uh, possible com logo. So if you can come up with a logo that you feel sums up com, then send it um, to paul at com, and uh, we'll collect them all together and we'll pick the best one and we will get it printed up on T-shirts and the winner will receive their own free T-shirt. <laughs> oh, we're so generous. I know. We? Well, look, we're doing this on the cheap. We don't have sponsors. We don't have anything like that. So, you know, what do you expect? Yeah, fair enough. But no, that would be really cool. Anyway, so let's let's do some proper news because there's to do news at this bit. Not oh, look, someone's made a song of it. We turned we turned into g- g- uh, giddy schoolchildren yes. that are overexcited. It's like Christmas. Yeah, so, Chris- what other uh, interesting things are happening in the world then? What web design or in the world generally? In the world, generally. I did my garden yesterday. Does did that count you? as interesting? Yeah. Okay. Did you did you kind of feel good about it when you'd finished? I did feel very ground, very oh, good. Oh, yeah, yes, I've done something good here. It was a definite improvement. But in the world of web design, um, we have to talk about. Oh yeah. Yes, do, it's we? kind yeah. of we're here. Uh, I7 have released, or Microsoft have released a second beta of I7. But what's quite interesting about this one is that they've they've opened it up to the general public so that that anybody can download um, I7 mm-hmm. and. Um, they're actually actively encouraging the public to download it, and it's like being pushed on their website. And they're even offering free telephone support. So they're actually going for it quite majorly now. So um, if you haven't yet checked your website in IE7, then now is the time to do so. I've but been I, using it quite a lot lately. It seems fine. Have you? You've, yeah. you've got the second beta, have you? Don't know. Probably. It's, it's very good. It's very stable. It's got some really nice little features in it. Um, and... Yeah, it's it's a good browser. Yeah. It doesn't support, you know, CSS as well as it should do, but it's pretty pretty damn good. And Boagwood looks decent on it, and um, Headscape it looks does. decent on it. Well, I haven't seen anything that doesn't. I mean, not that I look at that much, but uh, yeah, I've I've had a couple of weird things, but nothing major. And it, it I mean, other good stuff is it um, supports PNGs yeah. natively, which for me as a designer is like yay. 
But the thing that I like... You have to wait until we can dump our E6, though. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm not worried about that. Either. But the thing that I like most about it, this is so sad that of all the things I like, is that it now renders dotted lines properly on borders. It always used to make them a dash, and it would make dotted lines look really ugly. But my, I, that's one of the things I tend to have a lot of in my designs. Pointless yeah. dotted lines for no apparent reason. There's no such thing as pointless dotted lines, is there? Surely it's like more. it's like there's no such thing as overdoing bevels. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Okay, question time. We did a question time last week, and it seems to have kind of prompted everybody to send thousands of questions in. Yeah, so, we like questions. So do you want to read the question? Yep, yeah, it's from Josh Campbell. A friend of mine claims that SEO search engine. Or, Search engine optimization doesn't really work anymore, as he claims blogs and RSS are replacing the importance of search engine rankings. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this matter. Ah, what an idealistic young man this friend of Josh's is. He's wrong. Yeah, I mean, I can see where he's coming from. That I think there is going to be slowly a move away from search engine optimization. I don't think he's got it right. I don't think he's right saying that blogs and RSS replace it, but I think that search engines are becoming slowly less important, and I emphasize the word slowly, because more of these recommendation services are becoming... We've talked about this before, haven't we? We have, yeah. Yeah. So they're becoming bigger, things like Dig, things like um, Delicious, stuff like that, where other people are are, are rating and evaluating the relevancy of sites in preference to search engines using automatic algorithms. I still think... I mean, it depends depends on what you're looking for, but I think for... If you're searching for a product or something like that, you always go to a search engine first, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I just yeah. I mean, it's you can't. I, I what I would take out of this is search engine optimization is still very very important. Mm-hmm. But I would turn his comment around and say he's in effect saying you can ignore search engine optimization because blogs and RSS is replacing it. I would actually say um, you can't ignore search engine optimization, but neither can you ignore Absolutely blogs or right. RSS. Yeah. These every website should have an RSS feed on mm-hmm. it. Um, Blogs is a very kind of nebulous term, depends how you define that, but every site should have updated content on it, which is, you know, to a large extent what blogs are about. So, yeah. And that helps with the search engine ranking if you do that. Which helps with the search so engine ranking, as does the RSA. Yeah, you, it's all a nice package that <laughs> all intermingles. Yes, I'm sure, but um, uh, it's a good question, Josh, because I'm sure that's not exactly what you think, but you came up with a good uh, Well, no, Josh, to be fair, question. I've edited down his question. All right. Because so you made him look kind of like, you know... I've made him look thick. No, because you're saying a friend of his has said this, and he does in his full... A friend of mine. Yeah. Yes. A friend of mine went to the doctor. Yeah. A friend of mine's got this horrible rash. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, he, he's, he then did go on and slam his friend and say, <laughs> his friend is a fool. Oh, okay. So, yes, Josh, you are right, yes, in correct. our humble opinion. Your friend is a fool. Um, right. Not a total fool. <laughs> so let's move on. Okay, so the next section we're going to cover today is our Technobuster section. And I've decided to tackle the issue of the different types of, I don't know how you describe this. Stretchiness. Stretchiness of your website. <laughs> Marcus makes up new technical terms. I'm interested in this because obviously, you know, fixed and scalable, I get my head round. Uh, but, you know. Elastic and hybrid. Yeah, and I'd, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Oh, you're going to say you disagree with my definitions. No, 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 I'm not going to disagree with the definitions. I need you to give me examples of. Okay. I can do that. Yeah, that's right. Cool. So, so we've got. So basically, um, when your designer comes to you um, asking you about your website and how you want it built, he'll give you. He could potentially give you four different options of whether you want it to be fixed, scalable, elastic, or hybrid. Um, and I thought it's worth just explaining those. And actually, even if you are a designer or a developer, people kind of it isn't always very clear what these are. Fixed is the most obvious. So that's a fixed width site where the width of your website is set in pixels. So an example of this would be the he- well, boagworld.com yeah. would be uh, an lots example of Lots of that. websites. Lots and BBC. lots of websites. BBC, yeah. uh, Headscape. Lots of, you know, it's nice the way we put yeah. Boagworld yeah. and Headscape next Headscape. to the BBC. Yeah. yeah. Equal quality yeah. sites, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Which now, so the, the good thing about fixed width sites is you've got complete control over things like the, uh, the exact positioning of ev- everything, things like line length um, of the text. You know how long text is going to be, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, downside of it is that on um, higher resolutions, your website can begin to look tiddly shoved in the top left-hand corner and a little bit stupid. Tiddly, that's going to end up on the T-shirt, isn't it? Yes, your <laughs> website looks tiddly. Um, I, I still like fixed width sites, even on my huge resolution monitor. Do you really? Because yeah. now I've got this widescreen monitor, I have gone off of fixed width sites a little bit. But you just, I, you never have the full browser window open. Yeah, but I do. I'm somebody that always has a full browser window open. Always, yeah. always, always. I don't like the mess of having other stuff behind. Yeah. So anyway. I mean, what I'd, ideally, what I'd like is fixed to 1024. Or yeah, even but then, bigger. Yeah, but you know, the whole of the web is not that? designed around no. you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the second option is scalable. And this is websites that are, uh, the values are set in percentages. Um, so a scalable site traditionally... Um, would be I'm just trying to think of an example of a scalable site off the top of my head um, the low vision version of Headscape okay. is scalable um, what other websites are scalable this is really dumb Dig is, Dig is scalable Yahoo I don't think it is well, they were whether they still are or not Dig.com definitely is D-I-G-G dot com um, uh, well, VivaBit the what site Hacked Hacked yeah yeah. I, I basically only double A or above this, compliance site. This is what I don't understand the difference between scalable and elastic, and this is why I need some right. examples. Now, scalable, uh, so scalable is percentage values, where it'll, it'll scale to fit your entire browser window. Yeah, All right. got that. So however you move it. Elastic, now, part of the problem is different people define these in different ways, but the... The my view, the Boag world view <laughs> of the, the universe. The correct view, then, of course. Yes, obviously. Yeah. Um, elastics are websites that are set in M's, yeah. which is a different thing. Now, M's is like um, a text scalable size. So yeah. if you um, scale the size of your text, then um, the M's value increases. Does that make sense? Yes. So um, a elastic site is a site where everything not just the text but everything is set in m's values which means as you scale the font up or down then the whole site expands or contracts it's oh, got so nothing it's more like to do a zoom with zoom feature rather yes. than a yes right gotcha so um it would you know if you've got your Are default you going to be you know, is there a big flame coming towards you now for all the comments saying, no, you're Paul, you're wrong? No, I don't think so. I mean, sometimes it, it, there's a fourth one that I've introduced called hybrid, and sometimes right. people mix and match those I two see, a little right. bit. So it just depends on your definition. Okay. But, for example, I'm working on a site at the moment um, for an e-commerce site, who you will know who I'm talking about. That That's an elastic site. So it, it appears fixed width until you start... Actually, no, that's a hybrid site. It, it, it <laughs> appears fixed width um, until you start scaling the fonts, and then the whole thing will scale with it, which is really nice. Yeah. does create, then the downside of it is that you still get, the on a high resolution, if someone hasn't changed their font size, you still get the big white gap to the left-hand side, the right-hand side, yeah. where it's not filling the whole window. Um, but the advantage of it is that you know, you still can control line lengths and stuff because as you scale the font, the interface scales as well. You can end up with horizontal scrolling, mind if you increase the font size and um, because it will stretch potentially off of the available space yeah. that's there. So some people have kind of got around these problems using a hybrid approach, which is a combination. Well, a hybrid can be a couple of things. It can either be a combination of pixels and percentages. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if you decide... Your left-hand navigation is always going to be set in pixels and will remain a set width, while your main content area will be percentages and will scale, or alternatively a combination of M's and percentages. So it's kind of where you combine yeah. your hybrid different approaches. That's quite cool. Yeah. So there's te- that's the I understand now. That makes sense. Yeah. It's quite cool actually. I'm 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 a great fan of the hybrid approach personally mm. because it kind of gives you some level of control, but accommodates people with higher browser levels but the only trouble with things like really anything other than fixed widths is that you get weird um percentage you get weird rounding calculations so where you've got percentages or m's Mm. 
Um, and so that, depending on what the browser is, that value will change. That value obviously ultimately needs to be converted into pixels. Yeah. You know, because ha- you have to display on a pixel amount. Um, and you could end up where 77%, for example, actually works out as 2.3 pixels. Right. So one browser will round it one way, and one, another browser will round it another, and it'll screw up, and you can get mm-hmm. weird effects happening Wreck as a result. beautiful design. Yeah. So that is, it's fiddlier doing um, scalable, elastic, or hybrid. Um, but I think there's, there's significant benefits in it. Okay, cool. So the main feature we're going to look at today um, is the subject of whether to um, deal with a web project in-house. In other words, to hire in staff if you don't already have them to develop a project in-house or whether you outsource it to a, a third-party agency and look at the pros and cons of both. Now, Outsource it to a third-party agency. Well, you would say yeah. that, Marcus, because you're the salesperson <laughs> for an uh, external agency. Oh, God. Outsource it to a Always. third-party agency. Yes. Anything else I need to say? No, you can just <laughs> shut up now. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you've just totally thrown me now. And now you're walking off around the room. That doesn't help, does it? Come back. You know I get lonely without you. Uh, Yeah, so obviously this is primarily aimed at people that are commissioning web projects. But I think hopefully we've got some quite interesting stuff. If you're a designer or a developer, either working for a third-party agency or or working internally to kind of see the the other side of the coin, so to speak, and to understand the benefits and drawbacks of your position. Okay, so first of all, we're going to look at... Well, let's first of all say why we're doing this this kind of part, you know, this is a subject matter. It's because it's really quite an important area in a website project. Whether you decide to um, outsource it to a third-party agency has certain benefits and certain drawbacks to it, as does doing it internally and getting staff internally. And it's a big decision that that potentially has large financial ramifications to you as an organisation. You know, it, it also dictates... Um, how you perceive your website, whether you perceive it as something you build and leave or whether you see it evolving over time and all of those kinds of issues. So we felt it was important enough to actually bother doing a session on. So I'm going to start by looking at um, the the benefits of having an um, in-house development team that actually work and improve your website. So we're going to look at the drawbacks of that um, and hopefully through that that will kind of highlight um, the benefits and drawbacks of outsourcing and then finally we'll look at some other different options of uh, possible other ways of doing it okay so in-house benefits uh, I think it's safer to say that if you have a site that needs continual maintenance in other words you're constantly expanding it and improving it um, and I'm talking about more here than you know textual updates that could be with, done with a content management system but if you've got, you know, you're, look, you're looking at expanding and altering and evolving the look and feel, um, et cetera, et cetera, then probably you, you, it will be more cost effective to have an in-house development team. Now, that could be a single individual or multiple individuals. I'm kind of, for the majority of this this podcast i'm working on the assumption you're talking about getting on one or two people not a you know huge army yeah i mean i've, I've just got to put my bit in here okay you which go for is it. that and it's just you mentioned a bit there about not viewing the this team or person as some who who have the the job of just doing the text or you know yeah. the content basically my view is that any fairly you know, anything over just a kind of like this is who we are website yeah. needs to have somebody who is dedicated to the content, looking after the content of that website. Um, yes, and that's whether you in, you do it in house or it. That person may have other responsibilities, but you know, the, what I, I guess what I'm saying here is a lot of smaller companies, because I mean, smaller companies probably are listening to this and go, "This isn't for me." Well, of course, I'm going to get a third party agency because I'm not going to employ somebody to. Re, you know, build my website on an ongoing website, uh, on, a, on an ongoing, ongoing basis, basis even. Um, but my my message to those people would be: you need to have somebody in house who is responsible for the website, who looks after the content, and you know, maybe you know, looks at stats and 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 works out what's working and what isn't working. Yeah, you can outsource that, but somebody who works for you, in my view, is going to be. 
they're going to understand more about the company than the, than the third party yeah. agencies. I mean, I'm uh, going uh, off track here. So no, no, you're not. Not at all. I think that you, all you're doing is taking it from a different angle, which is that you're differentiating between the need for a, an owner um, and kind of evangelist for the website yeah. um, who might not know any HTML or any coding from what I'm talking about, which is the actual practicalities of building a website. Mm. Um, I thought so, that needed to be it. Yeah, yeah, no, it does, very much so. So, I mean, basically every company, whether you're outsourced or uh, do it in-house, needs to have uh, that owner, or that evangelist, that person that you know is responsible for the website. Um, now, sometimes, if you're very fortunate, you can find somebody that is capable of doing both, mm. you know. So, you know, if you hire someone, well, I suppose someone like me, you would get somebody that that has the kind of business acumen but also can do the, the hand coding. But um, you don't always get those two together. So, no. yeah. So, yes, you totally throw my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, so... With Paul, if, you get content, you get coding, and you need a spell checker. Uh, yes, <laughs> and a grammar checker. Grammar's um, fine. Nothing wrong with your grammar. <laughs> uh, so I'm just in this throw pool mode. Yeah, <laughs> you, you really are today, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm totally on form today either. It was too much physical oh, labour in the garden did. yesterday. Yes, he's done real work. Yeah, been I in outside. I know. Blimey. I, I was blinking in the sunlight. Um, in preference to coding in the darkness, as it yeah. says in the paragraph. Yeah. Okay, right. So, right. Let's get it back on track. Back on track. So, uh, taking an in-house coder can be a cheaper solution if you are looking at doing regular, ongoing evolution of your website. Having in-house um, development and design skills is also excellent for for um, moving your site forward and for evolving. Well, that's kind of the same thing, really. That. If taking an outside agency and getting them to work on your site is never going to be as effective for the ongoing evolution of your website unless you are literally throwing money at it all the time. Um, if you've got a website that is constantly evolving and constantly changing, bringing that in-house is by far the most sensible solution. Of course it is. Um, I mean, unless the, unless the third-party agency you, you're, you're hiring are, have no work on, they're well, yeah. going to always be... you know. They're not going to be keeping an eye on your site all the time. No. Oh, that needs doing. Oh, that, even, no. Even if that's, it's their job to, they're not going to be as on the ball as somebody who works for you. Totally. And also, I think you as a um, as the company owner, or the person that, that is involved in this website, you're, every change you're going to make to your website, you're going to be thinking about the cost implications of it. Of you know, you're always going to, which in some senses is a good thing, I suppose. Yeah. But, you you know, it's always perhaps going to make you a little bit more hesitant to make changes and updates. Um Another advantage of in-house uh, staff is that they really know and understand the business in a way that no external agency can do. You know, they really get under the skin of the business. They know what, what works and what doesn't within the business. They know what's going to be accepted internally. Now, it has to be said that I think that's both a benefit and a drawback um, because it can, oh, we'll come on to that later, but it can make you a somewhat institutionalised within the business that you don't think outside the box. I can't I believe I just to say said that. that. I wanted to say it. Oh, Sorry, I took the cliche well, you from can't, you. you know, unlike a, an external agency, you would hit the ground running. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it now. Yeah, with some blue sky thinking. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, please don't. So I can't cope with this today. Uh, other benefits of obviously having an in-house team is you've got evangelists within the organisation that are promoting the web internally. Now, we've already said that you kind of need somebody for that anyway, but chances are if they're not a dedicated person, um, the website will just be one of many things that they've got to do um, and they're not going to be pushing it in the same way as a full-time member of staff is going to be. Mm. Um, so there, there's some of the benefits. I of having in-house designers some of the drawbacks well obviously having an in-house development team is a an ongoing long-term financial investment it's not um you know a one-off development cost like having a, a web design department it is something you could be continually spending money on now again in some ways that's a, a good thing because i believe websites should be continually invested in and should continually evolve and it will um, get you to take the web more seriously as part of your marketing um, sales strategy or however you use your website. Exactly. I mean, if, it, if, it, if your website's doing its job 
i.e. I don't know bringing in leads or sales or whatever yeah and if it continues to do do that it will it will only continue to do that if it's looked after and it's kept up to date blah blah blah, blah. yeah so if the return on the investment is more than the salary yeah salary, then it all works out yeah yeah, but it, it does feel like a bigger commitment and a, a longer-term commitment taking on a full-time member of staff. Yeah, true. Um, I think uh, th- this is a little bit of a judgment. I might get a few complaints over this one, but I, I feel that it's also um, harder t- to keep on top of the latest innovations when you are, especially if you are a single developer within a within a company even if there's even if there are a few of you because you're not working on as um, as a, as many different sites and you're not having to sell your skills constantly to mm. to a you know third party third parties like an external agency are having to do the the motivation and drive to keep on top of every latest innovation is not going to be there in the same way um and it's simply harder because you know inevitably um you're constantly going to be fed work to do within the organization updates and things that change on the website um and your managers aren't going to see the same benefit of investing you know in research and development um as you would if you were in a third-party agency so i think it can be tougher to keep on top of what's going on um and so there is a real need to 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 ensure that if you're going to have in-house staff you make sure training and uh, time for research is built factored into to the cost of owning that in-house skill base. Well, that's why we're here, Paul. Or well, that's why you're here. <laughs> what? To, to, yeah, yeah, but to yeah, I mean, but you know. okay. If you're an in-house developer, then you need to have time to read sites like Boag World or List Apart or any well, of these our, other ones. Our friend Matt, who listens to us on his way to work. Yeah, but yeah, okay, <laughs> fair enough, and that that's great and all the rest of it. But why should he have to? He doesn't have to. No, but what I'm saying is, why shouldn't he ha- be able to do that as part of his job? If his job is, which it is, to to run and organise and own the website, he's doing free overtime on his commute, mm. in my opinion. Well, it's on while he's driving, but then I suppose he could be you know, staring out the window. Well, or he could be listening to Hands to Heaven. <laughs> yeah, over and over, over and again, over again, every day. Yes. See what You see what I'm saying? That actually, that... that, that learning stuff is directly for his job and should be part of his job mm. and uh, you know I think it's research, isn't it? I think people accept this which is actually something we're going to come on to next week but anyway I'll, I'll rant on about it now mm. I think people kind of accept no I'm going to stop people can wait until next week when, when someone wrote <laughs> a question a about all this yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow I'm turning into that kind of person it's a soap opera now it's now <laughs> That's what we de- deteriorated to. We could do a soap episode. A soap you, episode. It would take far too much preparation. Do, 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 do. Yeah, <laughs> which means nothing to anybody outside the UK. Never mind. Um, so yeah, I made the point about uh, potentially in-house staff can become institutionalised. Uh, that they um, begin to view, uh, they can only think about their website and the way the website works, and and you know they they kind of get narrowed into that way of thinking. They also don't get to easily compare other projects like an external agency an external agency often i draw on experience from one project that i've done for one person um you know to help yeah, cool. me solve problems with another they don't have those kind of benefits within house staff my biggest bugbear and i do not know why this is true about in-house staff and this isn't a, this is no there's no logical reason for this but in-house staff, their opinions are often not valued or taken seriously within an organisation. And I see this again and again. How many times have we been, especially university work that we do, okay? Mm. We as Headscape are commissioned to go into a university and, do, and, and, and recommend how they should do their website and all the rest of it. How often is there an in-house department already there that have been saying all the same things for the last six years and it's only when, you know, they, they don't pay, and, and management pays no attention to those internal staff. But, uh, yeah, you pay, you pay a lot of money for a high-profile external agency like Headscape to come in, and suddenly everybody listens to you. It's like the more money you pay, pay somebody, the more likely you are to listen to them. That's very true, actually. Um, it seems that I'm not thinking of a university here, um, but another a recent pitch that we went to, basically it came to the... I, I reach well two actually two suddenly spring to mind 
where we weren't expensive enough. Yeah. I got the impression. Sorry, but, you know, not quite uh, pricey enough there, chaps. We can't have you. So, you know. yeah. I mean, you're turning it around to be bitter and twisted again. But yeah, every time. It's the- three? I thought of three. <laughs> oh, no. Stop it now. <laughs> but it is that principle that if you have staff in-house, management can often underestimate their value. Um and I do see that as a drawback of in-house staff. There's no logical reason for it. It shouldn't be like that, but it is the way it is. I'm not sure. I'm sure that does happen, but I'm not sure that's the norm. I think off, there, there are two sides to that coin. Um, we are often brought in as mediators. I'm not saying that we're necessarily better or more skilled than an in-house team, but they're so embroiled within with that internal politicking that goes on yeah. uh, that we're just brought in because it's almost... It's like the you know, things won't a third happen, party to almost. sort out. Yeah, mm. it's, it's you know, the internal team. How many times have you heard that? Yes, they can do this work, but they can do it in three and a half years' time when they can schedule it in. Yeah, and all this kind of thing. You can just hear the kind of the arguments between relevant managers and things going on. That's often the reason why we're brought into large institutions, anyway. Yeah. Um, also, I think the other ha- thing about. Um, in-house staff and this is again I'm talking about if you've got a relatively small team obviously this this doesn't apply if you've got a big team but if you've just taken on one or two people they're never going to have the same breadth of experience um, and skills as an external agency so what I mean by that is web design is not anymore a, a kind of jack of all trades um, kind of industry so there was a time when um, you know, a web designer would do, um, they would do the design, they would do the um, HTML and CSS, they would do any back-end coding that they needed doing, they would do any consultancy, you know, the usability, accessibility, they would do a bit of everything. That, that just doesn't work anymore, and a lot of um, internal agencies, uh, internal um, developers are still in that position where they're having to do everything, mm. and that's never going to compare to an organisation which has a usability specialist, an accessibility specialist, a front-end interface design specialist, and so on and so on. So you're not going to get that depth of skills in one or two individuals compared to an entire third-party agency. That jumps me back to the, I still think, the most important person to have in the house is that owner. And yeah. the content. But anyway. Okay, so, um, and then the final kind of drawback really to in-house um, is that often organisations hire the wrong type of person. For, you know, when when they're just taking on one or two people, they, they often get somebody that is just a coder or just a designer. So there are big holes in that person's knowledge. When they an editor. So yeah. I keep harping on about the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I know. But, yeah. Um, and, or, or even an evangelist. I mean, mm. without making sweeping generalisations about coders. Oh, here we go. <laughs> well, you, you do occasionally. I mean, you know, a lot of coders are... We have one in the room with us. Yeah. Steve's over Actually, in the corner. Actually, our coders don't really fall into this, yeah. this, this um, block, but... A lot of coders tend to be quite um, intense, isolated individuals that kind of just get into their and churn out code, right? Which is what you need from a coder to some extent. But they perhaps lack some of the business acumen um, and communication skills and the other stuff that you kind of need. This is great. I'm trying to word this really... I can hear the emails flying I'm trying to word this really diplomatically. You're going to get some beautifully communicated emails, that's what I can say. (laughs) But you know what I mean? And often people in, in yes, organisations are disappointed. They hire someone expecting someone to kind of go, da-da, we're going to sort out your website strategy. And actually they're a coder. Mm. And why the hell should they know how to do business strategy yeah, around a website? Stand in front of a marketing team and yeah. say, this is what you should be it's doing. Not that, it's, it's a not, very scary thing for anyone to do. Exactly. And it is no criticism of coders because... You know, no business salesperson could code like they do. So why in hell do we expect a, a coder to be able to present and do business strategy like mm. someone like that? Exactly. So yeah, you're I right, was, Paul. But I was just enjoying. You were just enjoying it, it, making me squirm. Yeah, as I tried to word it in a diplomatic fashion, <laughs> not something I often do. So I mean, there are pros and cons with both. Basically, um, in-house de- uh, uh, developers give you. Um, it means you don't have to pay as, as um, uh, those big one-off fees of an external agency, but there is an ongoing uh, commitment. Um, internal people um, 
uh, understand the business much better than an external agency will, but an external agency gets to work with lots more businesses that they can draw on in experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in-house uh, people um, have um, are better for evolving a site over time, and an external agency is better for providing a depth of skills, you know, and so on and so on and so on. But there are other, a couple of other alternatives if um, to making that choice between one and the other. One is to bring in specialists on a on an ad hoc basis. So even though you have perhaps one individual that does the ongoing development of the site, you bring in every now and again, especially you know specialist people to give that extra depth um, to specific areas of a project. So you might get somebody in to do some usability testing on the existing site, or to do an accessibility review, or whatever. Yeah, I and mean, we're often often that's brought, the majority brought, of our work, isn't it? Do, um, well, a, a very common request from larger organisations that we win work for are design, front-end design, and templates, XHTML, yeah. CSS. And all the technical stuff, yeah. you know, de- development work, if you like, is kind of looked after by an in-house yeah. team. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, usability testing as well on top of that. So. Um, also, you can get... There, there is something, if you're a very small um, organisation, there's a growing number of people that offer themselves out as part-time in-house staff, if mm. that makes sense. So they will. Uh, so instead of, um, if you can't justify a full-time person working on your site, you can have part of a person that works on your site. Yeah. You know, and they also work on somebody else's site. So you share that cost of having somebody in, you know, all the time. Um, and then another route is to have a maintenance contract with an external agency where you can push down the the price that that agency charges out because you're willing to commit to them for a, an extended period of time. Um, so that's that's yet another option of how to do it. Have we covered maintenance contracts in any detail? Not in any detail, no. It's perhaps something we ought to look at. have got opinions on those. Oh, okay, we'll do that one day. Yeah. Not any time soon, because it <laughs> makes me want to go to sleep. Uh, 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 but however you do things, the one message that I would say is that you, um, you need to look at your site as something that evolves continually, and you need to be continually investing financially in your site over time rather than sporadically reinventing it every three years it'll be a lot more cost effective um, and it's a um, lot more effective from a marketing um, and promotional point of view as well yeah I think that's the, your underlying message here is don't build it and leave it yeah you need to have people real people whether they're part of the team or part of an external team yeah and I think that's part forward. that's part of a problem that exists at the moment especially within organisations that use external agencies they, you know, they get an external agency in once every three years to redesign the site, and then it kind of just sits in between. Yeah, even if they have lots of tools to keep it up to date, yeah, they still don't. And even if they do, they're only updating the content, and I think even mm. the design needs to to evolve. I mean, little things like you know, I'm, I'm making little changes to the Boagward and the Headscape site continually, so that they they evolve and develop and improve. You know, based on user feedback and comment and stuff like that. Okay, so I think that about wraps up our feature on um, the different ways of uh, actually getting your projects done. So we're going to do our website review now, and I'm going to introduce you to a new site. A lot of the website reviews I've done have been kind of CSS and coding-based, but I, here's, here's quite an interesting one. It's called Design Meltdown. I'm going to go and have a look. Um, uh, so it's at www.designmeltdown.com. And it's a really good site if you're a designer um, because it's it kind of you know there's a lot of these galleries around where you can see cool web design and stuff yep. like that. And when you go along to those, it's quite hard. You know, you go along looking for inspiration, but you can easily turn into a rip-off exercise. You know, no, or you're not quite. Not. <laughs> well, not for me, obviously. <laughs> Everything I do is always original and unique. <clears throat> yes, of course um, it is. Uh, it's interesting well these guys slice it slightly differently that they take um, they kind of break it down via you know here's different colour sets and how different websites use these different colour sets or here's different techniques that are used on websites and here are some examples so for example the way that I found out about this site is they did they did a, a section on badges, you know, um, you know, little kind of iconic badges that are put on websites, mm-hmm. um, and that how they're quite trendy at the moment, and how people are using them. They're very Web 2.0, mm-hmm. and of yeah. course, m- me jumping on every bandwagon that ever goes by. I've I've used badges on the Bowerworld yeah. site to show where the 
the link to the podcast is, and they'd included that in their list of example sites, and that's how I found out about it. So um, I would look at it, but my machine's frozen. Oh, is it? It can't record audio and look at and look at stuff at the same time. So, I, so as a result of that, I had to upgrade the badge on my site because mine looks shite yeah, compared to everybody that. else's. Yeah. I didn't notice it. Yeah. So, um, microphone. so it's quite nice for kind of getting different styles of websites. You know, oh, yeah, I never thought about doing a torn papered effect website. Mm. I mean, the one that I thought was really interesting caught my attention is they did one about mini websites. You know, we're always wor- worrying about whether it, you know, fills 800 by 600. Well, they did a whole thing about websites that were tiny, you know, tiny little ones in the middle of pages. Somebody tried Beautifully to... designed. All right. So somebody, somebody tried to, uh, I think it must have been two or three years ago. Uh, it, was a, it was a rehearsal studio's website. Right. Into, and it was about 200 pixels wide. Yeah, that's, yeah, and, I was looking at something like that. And, and I sort of, and I was told that this was the thing. I scoffed at a bit at the time, but obviously maybe it was the thing. Well, no, I don't. I, I couldn't read it. And yeah, it's yeah. totally unusable, <laughs> yeah. but it looks very cool. Yeah. yeah. So they they do. I like a whole list of these different things, from you know, kind of torn paper effects to badges to you know, um, mini sites. Uh, what else have they got? Let me just bring the site up and I'll have a look. They do things cool. like. Um, uh, shiny kind of you know bev- chromy effects Ooh, well, like chromy effects they are um, retro styles using photographic backgrounds you know websites which are all on one page just a single page websites mm-hmm. all of these kinds of different things and they kind of investigate them and write a little bit about them as well so it's a really good site for kind of inspiring you to perhaps approach your design a bit differently because if you've been doing for website design for a while you do kind of get a bit samey in the way you approach stuff so it's quite good to get a bit of inspiration every now and again. Oh, and they also have got tutorials about how to do some of this stuff, um, which has got some quite useful bits and pieces in. Um, and they've also got how to solve some common problems that are faced by designers. So check that out at designmeltdown.com. Ooh, rainbow. Excellent. Oh, I'm sure some of them, yeah, <laughs> some of them will be grim, no doubt. The other website I just wanted to quickly mention, if you are a designer or developer internally if you're an in-house developer by that i mean well i should have explained this right at the beginning <laughs> should I? you work for an organization um you know on a single website then there is a website that might be of interest to you which is designersinhouse.com which is a mailing list um that different designers can sign up for um and uh you know that you know you can talk about the problems of working on a single website within an institution i say a single website of course a lot of institutions have got a huge number of sites but you know what i mean yeah um i found out about that one because i got interviewed by them a while back just sort of dropped that in to show how great i am so i'm famous too yeah (laughs) maybe not getting all those downloads oh i love flash 62 percent 63 percent no i do Uh, love flash i'm just trying don't start that again Okay, so oh, you see, I do love Flash. I've got flowers going, rainbows <laughs> and all sorts of things. Lovely. I'm yeah, very pleased to you. It is magic. Okay, so if you've had any comments um, relating to this in-source or outsource a project, especially um, if, you, you know, if you work internally with an organization, I'd like to hear a bit about your experiences of working with external agencies when they've been called in. Um, or if you feel there are any drawbacks or advantages I've missed, then uh, check out uh, baragworld.com forward slash podcast, uh, select episode 32, and on the show notes you can post your comments there, and we'd love to hear what you've got to say. If you've got any um, ideas for future podcasts that you want us to do, or um, just want to drop us a line to say um, how much you enjoy Hands to Heaven, you can um, email me at paul at baragworld.com and marcus at Um, next week's show is going to be on search adding search to your site and making it work well Um, probably we'll go out next Tuesday again as this seems to become a tradition now Um, and thank you for listening enjoy Hans de Boag bye bye
Just 